This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you, as I do every Sunday night, live here from the beautiful downtown studios of CKNW. Matt is, of course, here with me in the studio, as he is every Sunday night as well. He's happy to take your calls. I do have a little prize to give out. Um, it's a Sensitone, a pelvic floor stimulator. It treats stress, urge, and mixed urinary incontinence. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later on in this hour. Uh, also going to be talking about... Um, um, porn and women. Did you think that women actually watched it? Um, and we're talking now about, um, well, marriage and marriage therapy and marrying the wrong person. Matt, did you see in uh, the hurricane um, in Houston, the, I mean, not in Houston, uh, Hurricane Harvey, um, a couple just, just um, you know, went through all sorts of hoops in order to get married. Did you see that? That no. photograph of him picking her up so that her wedding dress wouldn't get wet. Everything no, about their wedding got canceled. The flowers and the dinner and the caterer and the church and because of the hurricane. But they still managed to marry each other. Now, um, you know, and a lot of people really want to get married and they marry for a whole host of reasons and oftentimes it means they've married the wrong person. It's funny that you're talking about marriage because literally five like I'm talking five seconds ago, my sister just sent me a picture of her in her wedding dress that she just got. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very popular thing. Um, you know, marriage is uh, hopeful. It's it's a it's an a inf- it's an infinitely kind gamble. Really, you know, we really don't know the people. This this article in the New York Times basically said we really don't know the person that we're marrying because certain circumstances haven't happened. We show our best self to that person. We never want to show our flaws. Perhaps we are wanting to heal a pain uh, or loneliness as that we experience as a child. Um, so we nobody's perfect. And so we're tricky about intimacy. Often people um, tell me so often that uh, intimacy changes after marriage or the person that they married changes after they marry them. They didn't realize their person had a, an issue with anger. Uh, an anger management problem until they got married. And so there can be control issues and there can be manipulation and there can be so many different things. And we are hesitant to reveal our flaws. Uh, so, but oftentimes, you know, we remain in these marriages for a number of reasons and, uh, and we deal with them. And one way that we deal with them is through marriage therapy or coming to speak to myself about uh, issues in relationships. And oftentimes, one of the biggest things that I find lately is that, um, you know, one part of the couple is coming, one person in the couple is coming and they're saying either my husband or my wife doesn't believe in therapy. And so they won't come. Is it okay if I uh, present on my own? And, And which is fine, because there are certain strategies and tools that I can provide or just education or background um, that I can provide that can help people to um, teach people how to treat them, teach others how to treat them. There's often a power imbalance in a relationship. But there are certainly lots of other therapists out there and life coaches and matchmakers and and hypnotherapists. And Julie Julie Turner is a matchmaker and a life coach and hypnotherapist, and she utilizes hypnotherapy in her clinical practice to help 
her patients and her clients deal with issues that they are navigating in their relationships. Thank you, Julie, so much for staying in the studio. So you, we've decided that it's best not to hypnotize me in the studio. <laughs> because that might be a little boring It might be audience. a bit dull, yes. but you know what? I actually would welcome it. I love to sleep anyway. <laughs> I'm good in bed. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're not going to hypnotize me, and we're not going to hypnotize the audience. So she thinks. Do, do, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, all of a sudden they're bringing out the watch. Um, but do tell me, how is it that, uh, what is hypnotherapy? Let's start with that for, for, the, for those people who don't know or just think of that it's you know part of a magic show. Okay. Well, it can be part of a magic show for mm-hmm. sure. But what it is essentially is there's kind of three parts to your brain. There's your conscious mind, there's your gatekeeper, and there's your subconscious mind. And in your subconscious mind, that's where you hold everything you've ever learned everything you've ever seen it's all still in there much like the movie limitless you know you took a pill and then you had access to everything and your mind actually has that in there it's just that your conscious mind can only do one thing at a time so in any given day it can only do so much but in hypnotherapy we can actually search your mind and see all those things that you've you've learned and all these things and some of them are good and some of them are bad Um, but in hypnotherapy i always say they put you in a state of i don't care So your conscious mind gets bored and it checks out, goes over to the side. So does your gatekeeper, your critical conscious. And then we can just work with your subconscious. I can't read your mind. Sometimes I, for some people's minds, I can read them, but that has nothing to do with hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. I can't read your mind. Only you can take a look and take a tour through your mind. I'm just a guide. So somebody is hypnotized and they go from the conscious state and they can tap into their subconscious state. And do they realize that, so in that subconscious state, area of the brain they're holding or perhaps hiding their real feelings absolutely is that is that the tenet absolutely there's uh, many different methods that you can use in hypnotherapy Uh, you can just do uh, direct therapy which is you know if somebody's having an issue with confidence for example or anything like that i can just go in and help them you know with keywords to be more confident but most popular the thing that i use most is age regression And that's to take you with the feeling that you're presenting with now, whether that's, you know, um, anger or sadness or guilt, take that feeling from today and help you remember the last time and then the time before and then the time before that you felt the same feeling and it'll get you back sometimes as far literally as the womb. It can take you all the way back to when you began And it's very interesting. Um, I actually had a gentleman come to me. This was before I started doing the matchmaking. And it was to quit smoking. And he had had a cigarette on his way into the office. And I said, so you're here to quit smoking? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you want to quit smoking? Yeah, I have to. Like, okay, that's not wanting to quit smoking. Right. So I said, we're not going to work on quitting smoking. We're going to work on why you still smoke. Like mm-hmm. why the actual and it came to when he was like two years old and his dad had said he wasn't going to amount to anything and he was useless and you know he had a very at rough age childhood. two at age two <laughs> very rough childhood and he just truly believed that it didn't matter mm-hmm. if he was healthy or not it mm-hmm. didn't matter nobody cared and that's why he was still smoking right and to my knowledge last time i checked in he hasn't smoked since because we figured that out and then move forward with the stop smoking. Right. I find that in my clinical practice when people feel lonely, they it's related to they feel that their partner doesn't care yes. anymore and doesn't care about their intimacy, doesn't mm-hmm. care about the sexuality, doesn't care about um, 
you know, uh, the bond of, uh, of intimacy and, and sex. Um, so, so when people will, if they're having difficulty in their relationship, for example, and they have this conflict that they can't get over, and typically it is about um, desire discrepancy. That's what I see in my clinical Absolutely. practice, is one person wants sex more than the other. And it's usually like one person wants it 365 days a year, and the other wants it twice a year. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wide um, discrepancy. So how, how might it be? Is that something that hypnotherapy could be utilized for, uh, especially for women? I mean, there are so many other factors that contribute to a woman's sexual desire and sexuality. Absolutely. Um, you know, society, number one, um, education around it, you know, loving themselves, um, accepting themselves, being vulnerable, being able to be open and to be vulnerable and to, to understand the importance of it. But might there be something in their subconscious mind that can be tapped? I guarantee there's something in their subconscious mind. And, you know, with your last guest um, figuring out orgasms, I think that might help as well. Because mm-hmm. as you were saying, not all women can achieve it. But often that is, like, everything is run by our minds. It's just a fact. You know, our bodies just follow what our mind does. Mm-hmm. So if there's a limiting belief system or if there's a trauma in their childhood or, you know, somewhere along the way that is stopping them from being open then they're not going to be they're not going to want sex another issue with that when it's so different quite often i find that whether it's the man or the woman because it's it presents differently all the time uh, they're like well i'm tired of of being the one that pursues mm-hmm. but if you actually have an open honest conversation with your partner and you know that that's your role I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not here to tell people that they need to start pursuing because their partner wants it. I'd rather work with a partner and say, are you okay with knowing that this person wants to have sex with you, but they, they just don't, can't open that door? It's, they're not ready to open that door yet. You know, just to get people to understand that, you know, stop bringing your ego and your pride into it. If you want to have sex with your partner, mm-hmm. bring it to the table every time and don't make it a big deal. Right. Well, they do, and it is. They do, absolutely. <laughs> no. That's the problem. Um, but, you know, the lack of education we have mm-hmm. um, uh, is has certainly contributed to this. But um, so it, are, are people afraid to tap their subconscious mind? Are they afraid that the truth is going to come out? In other words, like, it drives me crazy when he does this, or I'm tired of living with, you know, all of her stress and problems that she brings home from work, or, you know, I'm, I'm tired of living in a sexless marriage. Um, you know, is... Are, are these things that people are, I mean, somebody is going, obviously, is going to, um, they, they need to want to get the help in order for hypnotherapy to help them. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people like to hold on to that thing that makes them feel, um, you know, that they've got something to talk about, something to think about. People don't always want to alleviate all the problems in their life. Right. What would be interesting about them then? And, you know, that, that can reach very far. It doesn't have to be in intimate relationships, that's for sure. But uh, generally when people come to me as a hypnotherapist, not necessarily as a matchmaker, but mm-hmm. as the hypnotherapist, they are, um, they've either been sent there by another therapist that mm-hmm. just couldn't reach what they were looking for, mm-hmm. or they're, they're ready. They're mm-hmm. ready to get help no matter what. Right. Now, as a matchmaker, it's a little bit of a different story because people don't realize right off the hop what I do mm-hmm. to prepare them. And sometimes they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do hypnotherapy. And it sometimes takes me a little bit to, to talk them into Right, it. of course. And how many sessions are, are beneficial? 
Um, it depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're actually just looking for um, a, a, tra- a traumatic event, mm-hmm. you can do that in one session. Mm-hmm. And then often I'll send my clients home with um, a recorded version of, you know, whether it's creating a new life or uh, uh helping them build their confidence, whatever the case may be, something that they can do on their own they don't need me for. Because mm-hmm. when I'm So they're not necessarily them, falling asleep and, and sharing all the secrets and then you reveal, this is what you told me. Yes, no. <laughs> hypnotherapy is actually not sleep. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a totally different state of the mind than sleep. But um, half an hour of, of hypnotherapy is like two and a half hours of sleep to your body. Which is really cool. Nice. And a yes. lot of people lose out on sleep. And, and sleep is vital to health as well. Well, how can people get in touch with you? Well, they can check out my website, which is julieturnermatchmaker.com. Or they can call me at 778-792-0029. And I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. You've certainly taught me a lot about hypnotherapy and and matchmaking and and all of that. So I appreciate you coming into the studio and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much, Julie Turner. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you this evening. It's always my pleasure. Thanks you. Thank you for listening tonight. Uh, I wanted to talk about hyperemesis gravidarum. The Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, has been afflicted with this with her third pregnancy. This is not the first time that she's experienced this. Uh, little is... Uh, this is little talked about, this particular subject, and uh, a, a number of women experience this, and uh, it's kind of like morning sickness, morning, noon, and night. It's uh, retractable vomiting. It can be starvation, nausea. There are many, um, you know, it's, it's really, it can last longer than the first three months of pregnancy, which is typically when morning sickness abates, um, but with uh with uh, hyperemesis gravidarum, or HG, uh, many women have this um, many, many weeks into their pregnancy. I've heard of women who have had it um, for 36 weeks. Uh, many women are hospitalized as a result of it. Um, and this is, this. it's characterized by severe nausea, vomiting, weight loss, and possibly dehydration, which is why women n- often need to be hospitalized for it and be rehydrated. Um, Many women can feel faint, so it's uh, difficult to go about your activities of daily living. And it is uh, just a much more severe form of morning sickness, uh, and it can last the entire uh, pregnancy. There's really no known reason for it, but it's more common in first pregnancies, multiple pregnancies, uh, obesity. When uh, when there's a family history, if your mother had hyperemesis gravidarum, you likely might suffer from it as well. So treatment includes uh, rest and, and drinking fluids and a bland diet. Uh, many women have to take electrolyte replacement drinks, often Uh, times women are prescribed thiamine and a higher protein diet as well. Um, So many women who have been admitted to hospital have often said when as soon as they got admitted to the hospital 
they their symptoms left them. They felt so much better. And this is often associated with the fact that even though a woman is in her home and she may have help, she may have a maid, she may have a nanny, she may have a mother, she may have somebody who's emptying the dishwasher and caring for the other children, but there still is that subliminal pressure that she feels that she's even unaware of uh, that she still has the responsibility of the home. So often women feel a little cray-cray once they're admitted to the hospital because they feel like, hey, I feel fine now, but their electrolytes may be out of balance. Uh, their sodium might be low, potassium might be low, and um, and so, but this is understood by medical professionals, but there are still a lot of myths around this, and I, I remember um, a woman was admitted to the postpartum ward when I was the head nurse there, and um, one of my nurses had said to her, um, oh, you don't want this baby, do you? This was a registered nurse who had been trained and, and um, supposedly had paid attention <laughs> in school, but obviously didn't. And so she had said to the patient, and the patient was extremely upset. She said, oh, so you don't want this baby? And the patient said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you're vomiting. You're trying to vomit it up. Obviously not the sharpest knife in the drawer uh, or the brightest light on the bulb. So there are some myths around this and that's what I try to do uh, about many subjects that uh, out there try to dispel some of these myths so if you are a woman suffering with hyperemesis gravidarum uh, it will pass uh, at the end you will be uh, delivered a beautiful baby some of the most beautiful babies have been delivered to women with hyperemesis gravidarum believe you me I am Maureen McGrath you are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I um, First, I want to uh, say happy birthday to Heather, who turns 40 in Calgary today. So happy birthday, Heather. Um, that is from your friend. Also, I uh, hey, guess what, Matt? I've had a couple of, um, uh, well, a, a few emails, but... Uh, one of them is not happy with me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know, um, because of uh, how I addressed his email last week. If you remember, I spoke about Johnny last week. Who basically, to summarize it, he, um, I, uh, I took it that because he's he and his wife were in a having a desire discrepancy issue, and um, so I took it that he asked his wife for, for permission to have sex outside of his relationship. I remember this. Yeah. So he said, um, he said, Dear Maureen, I'm Johnny. You read my email on your show last night, last Sunday night. I was flattered that you would do that, but don't be flattered. But I was so disappointed in what you had to say. And he goes on to say that I had asked my wife for permission. Firstly, you said that I asked my wife for permission to have sex outside of a relationship. That is absolutely not true. In a general discussion about our non-existent sex life, I suggested that my getting sex somewhere else would be a solution to our marital difficulties. I think he's kind of speaking with forked tongue, saying the same thing, would you say, basically? I don't know. Um, So his wife didn't agree, and she felt, and I I think this is a a very important question in those sexless marriages, is it fair to impose fidelity on a person who is deprived of sex from their spouse? And when that person has an extramarital affair, must we call that cheating, or is it merely survival, is what I would say. Um, So my response, um, you know, 
uh, sparked his uh, writing to me. But anyway, he said, I... I said, asking permission, it's much easier to ask for forgiveness. Is that not true or what? He said, are you saying that my goal here should be to do the easiest thing? What about doing the right thing? I don't want to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to cheat on her. Cheating implies wrongdoing, actions that would later require forgiveness. And he said in a mocking tone, and I apologize for that. I, do, I never mean to mock anybody. I, I made the analogy of me, of him, foolishly laying out my cards to Carol, but I did think he kind of, you know, hinted at what he was going to do. But in such an important aspect of relationship, why is being open and honest wrong? And I'm not saying it's wrong, but if you have absolutely no intention of cheating on Carol, that's great. Don't bring it up. And I would say to further, further to your question, um, I would say don't bring it up because it may sound to your wife like it's a bit of a threat. Do you think, Matt? Or I mean, you are the board op expert here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's that's a humdinger. So anyway, then <laughs> it, I it sounds like you said that's exactly what he said in the first email. I mean, yes, whether he so asks in a veiled way to his partner, exactly, and perhaps. Um, but wait, we also spoke about the the female psyche, and there was one fellow who had written a comment. I think it was on my TED talk that um, he said, you know, the easiest thing is for men in sexless marriages to do is to go and cheat because we can't understand the female psyche anyway. So why even bother? And I just thought that was an interesting comment. I was curious about that. I didn't, I hadn't thought of it in that way. And he said, speaking of the, so my Johnny said, speaking of the female psyche as being poorly mis poorly understood by men. And one listener's comment about the easiest thing for a man to do given conflict in a marriage is to cheat because men can figure women out anyway. Simply put, that is one person's opinion. And I had, and that's all I'm saying is I had not thought of it that way. Um, and then he goes on to say that he, he said, he asked me the question about um, uh, his wife's, you know, isn't it the ultimate compliment? I think it was, I, I'm actually fi- having a little del- difficulty finding. Um, he said, with regard to about a woman's body image, what greater reassurance, re- her attractiveness, could any man give than to have an orgasm just watching her walk around? All I can say to that is um, if one can tell a woman that they're beautiful, but they don't feel beautiful, they're not going to, nothing is going to work. So him having an orgasm, I actually take a little issue with this. It objectifies her in in some way. Johnny's not going to like me anymore. He does say he's a loyal listener. But a, a woman has to feel good about herself. It's not about your orgasm. And that's not, a. I mean, I'm sure, Johnny, you feel your wife is beautiful. And that is enough. But to to look at her and experience an orgasm as the ultimate reassurance of her attractiveness, I can't agree with you on that. And it's about a woman feeling good on the inside and feeling good on the outside. So if they don't feel beautiful, no amount of saying it or having an infinite amount of orgasms will confirm it for her. And in some way, it's objectifying women, and the pleasure is all Johnny's, I will have to say, on that one. But anyway, hopefully Johnny still <laughs> listens to the show. But I imagine I'm going to get another email from Johnny this week. Um, and, I, and I understand that you have no intention of cheating, but there are ways to deal with sexless relationships. 
I see the those patients all the time in my clinical practice, and um, oftentimes it is communication, and perhaps Johnny and I are having a little communication issue here. Speaking of orgasms, I had an email from a woman, Maureen, good morning, hope you're doing okay. As you know, I, I didn't know this, but as you know, I am on antidepressant treatment. The doctor told me I need to do two things to get off of my medication as soon as possible. One is exercise, the other is orgasms. As you know, I am in a sexless marriage. How can he help me to get an orgasm if sex always ends before I get there? For some women, an orgasm, to experience an orgasm takes five to 20 minutes, and some guys don't have that kind of patience or time or stamina, shall we say. Uh, So how can I help myself? Thanks a lot, Edna. I think it's great, Edna, that you want to get off of your antidepressant medication and that you're working with your doctor in order to do that, and exercise is is key to that. It's critical, and 30 minutes of walking every day is akin to uh, any antidepressant therapy for mild to moderate uh, depression, so that's great. How can you have an orgasm if he is not um, helping you to get there? Well, uh, you can take care of things yourself, uh, my friend Marie, shall I call you? I do change people's names, I have to say, for anonymity. Um, And you know what? Self-stimulation is one way, and also using a sex toy like the Womanizer, which is a clitoral suckling device. It is available on my website, Back to the Bedroom. It is a therapeutic device. Many women use it, and it's often, I've heard a lot of women say, I... I have orgasms instead of um, tr- depression or stress, and so by using their womanizer. So that's one way. You can also bring sex toys into your bedroom with your husband, um, and uh, that's certainly um, you know perfectly fine to do to incorporate um, sex toys into your relationship, and you should not hesitate to do that, and that shows that you are empowered um, in your relationship as well. And there are certainly strategies that you want to do that. Uh, it, you don't just want to bring that um, straight into the relationship. You may want to talk about it. Every relationship is different. Um, a lot of relationships, the sex does actually wane or gets boring. Um, even with the best chemistry and the most, the most diligent work, um, people can still have um, less than exciting sex. And, of course, that familiar familiarity breeds a certain staleness in the bedroom. So... Um, you may want to incorporate um, sex toys into your relationship. Um, and it can be a certainly uh, add things, uh, add a more interesting component to your relationship. It can help to reduce pain during intercourse for those who experience pain. There's less pressure on you and your partner to do all the work when um, the battery-operated little friend will help out. And certain sex toys may help sex last longer, and it can certainly improve communication. So it's not just women who benefit from a sex toy. Um, If your man is in the mood for marathon sex, but he doesn't think he'll be able to last, you could both wind up feeling helpless and dissatisfied, but a sex toy can certainly, um, especially those that are specifically designed to help men, can um, uh, like uh, help men out in the bedroom, like ones that stimulate oral sex, um, and others that help hold your guy off on reaching an orgasm can um, allow for longer, lustier romps in the hay. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. 
As I mentioned earlier, the best TED Talk, or any talk for that matter, on depression was delivered by the esteemed Andrew Solomon. And once again, I implore you to watch it. It is called Depression, The Secret We Share. It's on YouTube. Um, Just Google that. That said, if you've been afflicted or touched by a death by suicide in your family or relationship, it can be just tragic and, and devastating. And um, there are some ways to deal with it that might be beneficial for you. In 2009, according to Stats Canada, there were 3,890 deaths by suicide. This is a rate of 11.5 per 100,000 people. The suicide rate for men is three times higher than the rate for women, although women are diagnosed with depression much more frequently. Although suicide deaths affect almost all age groups, those aged between the ages of 40 and 59 have the highest death by suicide rates. So some people have experienced um, the death of a parent by suicide, which can be the most devastating of all. We're supposed to be given security from our parents. Um, So there are certain things that I've learned from my patients who have... uh, had a parent who died by suicide in some of the research that I've done as well that may be beneficial if you have found yourself in this situation, whether you are uh, the spouse of a person who died by suicide or a child of a person who died by suicide. Whatever you do, do not blame yourself. Suicide is an act of desperation, and there's no rational logic to it. People are unwell when they are considering suicide, contemplating suicide, And this is something, even in my work, I I talk to people very frequently about, are you suicidal? Do you have suicidal ideation at this time? And people often take their own lives without any warning signs whatsoever, but it is okay to ask them the question. You need to practice forgiveness of yourself and the person who let you down, perhaps. It's not easy, but it's important. It's helpful for you to move forward. It's also important to talk about it um, so that maybe through a counselor, make sure there's good chemistry, a good rapport, talk to your friends, talk to your partner about this. Um, You may experience anxiety. Many of my patients who have uh, lived on after someone that they loved died by suicide experience anxiety. Uh, You can talk to your colleagues. You'd be surprised at how many other people have experienced this. But this, again, is another secret shame that we all, that many people share, that people who have had somebody in their family die by suicide. uh, It can be certainly be an embarrassment. So it's not... Um, uncommon or it's it's perfectly okay to ask for help and sometimes it can be about very practical things and just the need to talk and you know by as humans uh, human nature is we want to help others so keep that in mind and accepting help is a sign of strength not a sign of weakness we often think it's a sign of weakness but it's not it says I want to actually get better I want to improve it's being stronger so get out there and do things and believe that it will get better. Sometimes suicide is familial. We see that happening um, throughout uh, families. Um, But you can live a good life after somebody that you have loved has died by suicide. So focus on the things that you have, those things that you are grateful for. Gratitude is key in any happy, healthy life. 
um, write a gratitude list, keep a gratitude jar, you list all of your big ticket items, your health, your family, your friends, and then the little things that have happened to you. Somebody smiled at you on the street. Um, perhaps you um, won, you know, a $10 in the lottery or something. You know, increase your happiness little by little. Appreciate those people around you, those people that do love you and that do help you. Um, be grateful for uh, the air that you breathe and the ability to wake up each morning and walk the street. I learned from a, a patient of mine who was. Uh, spinal cord injured, he said, you know, he was supposed to be going to uh, one of the Canucks games, and it was one of the finals, and he, he was missing it because he'd had an accident, and he was spinal cord injured, and he said, and I felt badly for him that he was missing that game. And he said, oh, don't worry. He said, you know, I look at life so differently now. I look outside, and I see the leaf blowing in the wind on a tree. And he said, I, I really appreciate the little things. And, you know, I, I often look at leaves, and I think of that man. Um, and so he has... Uh, you know, he has gifted me with that, that ability to slow down and to take a look at the at the small things in life that matter, that make us have a better life. There's nothing wrong with a darn good cry. Love it myself. It's extremely helpful. You don't have to maintain a stiff, a stiff upper lip. And, um, you know, treat yourself. Be good to yourself. Just sitting on the sofa, having, you know, just grabbing a box of chocolates, eating the entire thing. A couple of glasses of wine is good. Whatever. Treat yourself. Go out for dinner. Buy something nice. And, um, and remember that you're not cursed. This is not something that, that you could have helped. Mental illness is prevalent in this country and in this world, and especially in this Western world. And so it can be very challenging and, and very, di- um, difficult to deal with. And and many people actually live with depressed spouses. Depression is a medical illness. It is a physical illness. It's uh, very difficult to have a marriage that is under the weight and strain of a spouse's depression. And the spouse who lives with their partner's depression struggles to support their spouse and hoping to persuade their their partner to get help. What if they've recognized that it is actually depression? They often don't know what it is because depression in men often manifests itself as anger. Um, there are unmet emotional needs on the partner who does not have the depression. So getting appropriate help and treatment is is a, is key is integral to dealing and and surviving um, this medical illness in your marriage. So. If you are dealing with somebody who is depressed, you know, remember, it's teamwork. It's it's for better or for worse. Uh, depression is the enemy, not your spouse. Keep that in mind. Do what you can do together to tackle it together. Perhaps you can walk, take a walk together. And I know that's very difficult. It's difficult for people suffering with depression to actually get out and do things and try not to be resentful. It is easy for a relationship to get smothered by that black blanket of negativity that we see in depression. And so be conscious of your feelings of of distancing yourself emotionally or anger or shame, and don't let those come between you and your spouse. And be a voice in that darkness. Gently express your concern for your spouse and suggest ways to seek help. Perhaps bring your spouse to the doctor um, if or stay with them if your spouse has any suicidal ideation you do not want to leave them and it is something you want to ask them are you feeling suicidal 
there is something called the suicidal brain, and that probably needs a little bit more attention and something I will address on upcoming shows, perhaps next week. I'm also, I talk a lot about infidelity next week, I'm, and, and depression can certainly lead to infidelity in a marriage. And so next week, I'm going to talk about monogamy. We're going to flip that coin um, and talk about monogamy. But uh, getting back to dealing with a spouse that has depression, don't judge, have an open mind and a listening ear. That's why we have two ears and one mouth. We were given those ears to listen and um, and support your um, your spouse. Go to the doctor together. You'll learn about the illness. You'll have insights and observations that will provide valuable information to the physician or uh, or psycho- psychiatrist or whomever your spouse is seeing. Um, and you know you want to talk to your children about it. If you do have children, you want to be open about that. This will help to destigmatize this very common condition. Um, you know, and, and depression is something that often I like the word depletion. I think a lot. A lot of people that I speak to that have experienced depression, they have a year or years of depletion. They've actually been people-pleasing. They've been doing so much for other people. They haven't been um, taking care of themselves. They haven't been giving self-care. They haven't, um, and they get exhausted. They haven't been sleeping, and the neurotransmitters get a bit out of whack, and depression is, um, you know, is what is unveiled. Um, so be understanding. Depression can be episodic. There are ups and downs in any relationship, and there are ups and downs in any um, depress w- with depression as well, and uh, and it may come back. Just understand that. So just learn as much as you possibly can about depression. Unfortunately, time is up. I wish we had uh, left left uh, this on a on a lighter note, but um, you know, just enjoy life as much as you can. Life is to be enjoyed, not endured. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. You can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can visit my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Matt, thanks so much for all of your technical support tonight. Uh, The pleasure is always mine, Matt. Anyway, until next week, have a sexually healthy week. I am Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.